0: Built Unstoppable is a weekly podcast that features a new guest each week who shares their experiences, learnings, and helpful tips for achieving your greatest potential. Welcome to episode number three of the Built Unstoppable podcast. I'm your host, Justin Levy, and today I'm joined by Jennifer Yanolo, who is the founder and CEO at Imperia a featured speaker on women's entrepreneurship as part of a U.S. Department of State initiative, and an advisor to 1M1B, which is a startup incubator created to develop 1 million new entrepreneurs around the world who will thus create 1 billion new jobs. Thanks for joining the podcast today, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. So first off, I need to know if there's anything I missed or that you're currently involved with? Because that was quite the list, but I know you and I'm pretty sure there's other things.
1: (laughs) Oh, there's so much more. Um, Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of my focus over the last couple of years has been on female founders around the world. So, you know, when I'm not, on the road speaking, it's really a lot of startup development work and coaching and then also the incubator with Imperia. And so it's, um, you know, I've really started focusing on women and how we look at women outside actually of the United States and how can we help them develop their programs, their projects, their companies, things like that. So it's, um, my focus is all over, all over the globe, not all over the place, but all over the globe,
0: (laughs) Now, and I think you mentioned this a a bit in your response, but why did you decide to launch Imperia uh, as Mm. a, you know, what was the impetus for it, but beyond wanting to help, you know, women entrepreneurs, you know, globally?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because that was never my goal in life ever, ever. I mean, when when we met many moons ago, you know, I had a a food life. I was drinking champagne and flying to Italy several times a year and and having a grand old time. Um, But like many entrepreneurs, I burned out and it created a lot of physical ailments and problems that that actually had me forced me to stop my food career and and have to recreate myself. And so in the process of that, in the process of looking at, okay, what do I want to be when I grow up now that my life fell apart? what What does life look like? What do I want it to be? And I started asking myself, you know, I was about to go into sort of the second half of life, right? I was 40 years old. And I thought, well, this is a great time to think about what's the you know, if I'm gonna leave a legacy behind, you know, for my all of my nieces and nephews and and the world, what do I want that to look like? What matters to me? And it really was about looking at what problem kept me up at night. And I started really thinking about this on a deep level. And I realized it was the idea of a little girl anywhere on earth being sold or given away or murdered because she didn't have any value except to sell. And so I explored that idea for a while. I I really wanted to look very seriously at how I wanted, excuse me, how I wanted to address that problem and, and how I wanted to participate. And so I realized that if I sort of put all of my skills together, it looked like, oh, I can work with women who are building things like that is, that's what I do. And you know, I had already been doing some coaching and I thought, well, what could I do with this? So I happened to get connected with the state department. They started flying me all over the place. and, And I started meeting women from different cultures. And what I discovered was that no matter what country I was in, no matter sort of what demographic I was talking to, I was seeing the same set of things come up over and over and over again about internal scripts we have as women, whether they're hardwired or they're sort of put upon us by whatever society we live in, these problems are all the same. The way that we question our confidence, the way that we are more apt to follow the rules and be good girls and not cause trouble and not speak too loudly, like all of those things. It's everywhere. And I thought, okay, these are the scripts that I want to dismantle. And so I set upon this quest (laughs) to literally turn the world upside down. Um, And so the, the culmination of that became Imperia, which is a global innovation incubator. And I wanted to be really broad in that definition. So innovation is, is, you know, it's, it's a very broad term. It's not about tech. It's not about startups. It's about how does this particular woman want to change the world? And so I thought, okay, well, let's see who applies for this thing. Like maybe we'll get, I don't know, 10 people. Well, we ended up getting something like a hundred applications from six continents around the world for the first round. Wow. (laughs) So, so that went okay. Um, And so our pilot cohort, we're finishing it up right now. And we have 28 women from 17 countries on six continents. Uh, And these are women who are all focused on social impact, whether it's with their tech company or their, their domestic violence initiative or their, products to help children with disabilities. So it's really a very broad conversation, but again, we're focusing on those core concepts and those things that women deal with around the world. And it's, it's just extraordinary.
0: And I noticed when I was looking at the women that are part of that cohort, that Mm -hmm. uh, only two of them are based in America. And so it really addresses the global nature. Mm -hmm. But when you were selecting the women out of this kind of application process of a hundred, I'm sure that some of it was selected, obviously, based on ideas and and things of Mm -hmm. that nature. But were you purposely not trying to stack it in kind of the favor of uh, of Americans and wanting that to be more globally represented correct
1: um we we for the, the we kind of crafted a way to expand this, and so we are conscious that not more than three women in any cohort will be from the same country because okay. we think that's important in creating a truly global perspective, so we cap it because. Yeah, I don't want it overly skewed with Americans. Americans have enough resources um, to be entrepreneurs that they. I don't need to be one more of those. This is so much more a, a global consortium of badass women who are who are changing the world, and so we wanted to come from that place instead.
0: Absolutely, and and I think you know even from. Any travels that i've made you know i I've spent time in the Philippines in Manila mm-hmm. uh, over the course of my career, and there are so many people uh you know both male, male and female that are doing amazing things that uh, mm-hmm. there are just dismissed right um, yeah, you know as not being smart enough. Or, you know, by definitions that we set, you know, uh, mm-hmm. say for those cultures, it's, well, they just answer the phones or this where our, our customer service gets shipped. And it's no, I mean, when you talk to these individuals, they have very uh, high, you know, uh, goals and things mm-hmm. that they that they want to achieve. And, you know, it, it is special to watch these folks, uh, work to achieve these things. Now, the other organization that you're an advisor to the one M one B is that is the 1 million new entrepreneurs. Is that focused solely on women or is that actually just broader? Um, no, that's not focused on women. That's,
1: that's more about, and actually we, um, we're not as involved anymore because they're here's what I love about that. Manav is one of my best friends in the world. What he has done is taken the concept of the smart village right so we we hear about smart villages and we think high tech right and what he has done is he's taken this idea and and of what a smart village is and instead made it to be how can we prevent young people from migrating away from their homes and away from their families. How do we actually bring the future to the village so that the village has an ecosystem so that the village has, you know, sustainability. And what he's doing right now in India is so extraordinary. And here's, what's really cool about that. So as he's building that, you know, we have a couple of women in the incubator who are from India so right now, one of them is a fashion designer. And because India is on lockdown with the pandemic, you know, she thought she was just gonna have to shut everything. And I said, Well, you know, this is a great opportunity. Can you flip your manufacturing so that you are making PPE yep. and masks and things like that? And so she said, Oh, wait, I think I can do this. So so I connected her with one M1B. And now what they're trying to do is set up manufacturing in a village based on her designs. So now we've spread the sort of the, the ability to create income across a bunch of people. So so Manav and I, we are, we are always looking, we're sort of um, spiritual twins. <sighs> so we're always looking for opportunities, like how can we connect the dots with what we're doing? Uh, you know, and he's had me speak at the UN, which was incredible. And, and some of the women from 1M1B have ended up in our cohort. So it's like, so it's this very wonderful symbiotic relationship we have. Um, and I think that he will, he will truly change the world because India has a billion people and they, they, um, they are able with what he is doing to create a new way to make villages and village life more sustainable.
0: Absolutely. And it's incredible when you talk to, like I said, when I was in the Philippines, but also as I have friends that come from several other countries, Mm -hmm. um, when you talk to them, even when I've taken cab rides, right? And you you just are in a discussion with someone. And again, people write these people off because we're stuck for the most part, in our bubble of thinking that, you know, we're Americans and others that are, you know, in these service industries, such as driving a cab or what have you, are less than us. They're providing us a service. And because they don't walk, talk, look like us, that must mean something. And, you know, some of the best conversations I've ever had are with individuals that tell me that they have come from another continent another country and that they moved here to make income to send back to their families and mm-hmm. you know and then they describe some of these folks describe you know the the places and the the property that they have back home and mm-hmm there was an individual that i worked with at a previous job who uh had a farm that had everything you could ever imagine on it and his brother took care of the farm that's also where his wife and and kids le- uh lived but from everything from you know lettuce and tomatoes and things like that to black pepper mhm he they grew it or made it or what have you and you know various indian spices and and all of that and the his income he'd keep enough of it to live comfortably here would go over there to help supply his farm mm-hmm. and yeah. and they are incredible stories when you take the time to listen to them and and understand it and I love hearing those stories.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's, you talk to the average cab driver in New York City, you know, he's probably a surgeon uh, mm-hmm. or, or a philosopher or a professor or something where he's from. And, and I think it's really important to look at how do we create a world that does not require that kind of... um altering of oneself you know how do sure. we create how do we create the kind of world where he can be a professor and succeed or or she can be a a, a whatever a doctor um you know i mean I, I look at even my intern for for imperia you know she's from aleppo syria and what she has been through and had to go through just to get her education and and be here right now you know we had to stall the the beginning of her internship because visa requirements are going crazy here in the United States. And it's just that kind of instability. How can you, how can you expect a human being to thrive when, you know, that kind of instability is part of the everyday? So it's, it's really looking at how do we not have people be forced to leave where they are, to try and start somewhere else at the, you know, like the very bottom rung of the ladder. Why does it have to be that way? Why can't it be another way? And so, you know, I'm always looking at those bigger questions, like how do we improve the world on a local level so that people don't have to leave? How do we create a thriving economy where they are? And I, and again, that's what one M one B is doing also. And it's like that, that is what will change the world.
0: Yeah. And It's funny you mention a cab driver in New York being a surgeon, because that is the exact same conversation I had with a cab driver in Austin one year when Mm -hmm. I was there for South by Southwest Interactive. Yeah, I was talking to him, asking, you know, how long he had been in the country and, you know, what his passions were and, and, you know, if his family was here and things like that. And he told me that he was a surgeon back home mm-hmm. and that his wife was a professor. So yep. exactly two of the, the you know professions <laughs> that you mentioned. And yeah. it's incredible to, you know, think that someone's essentially driving cab for kids you know, because their income isn't that much. Yeah. But back home, they've earned this level of respect. Exactly. That here a surgeon commands just mm-hmm. you know by the you know soul nature of their job mm-hmm. um, and their education and everything that goes behind that so yeah. you know and I, you've kind of addressed this uh, at a basic level but beyond your focus on helping women and you know the global nature of of what you do you address, you focus your attention at a broader level on systemic issues, like Mm -hmm. race, diversity, and inclusion. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Because that even stretches, at least in my opinion, that stretches beyond just women entrepreneurship, right? Because now you're looking at it globally.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I think that, um, all of those topics are are s- sort of subsumed into what i believe my subject matter is which is really it's and this has become such a terrible cliche of a word but it's the one that's easily accessible right so it's it's about human empowerment mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is how a human being pretty much finds the, the, the will and the ability to keep going. Right. Uh, which is a lot of what you talk about with being unstoppable. And so for me, it's really about, I started looking at humanity. I find humans fascinating. And so I started, started looking at why is it that some people, even when everything is stacked against them, why do they thrive? And I happened to kind of start thinking that way because I had gotten sick, right? And so I was trying to get better and I was looking for inspiration and I thought, who are the people who really inspire me? You know, one of them is my best friend who, who literally should be a statistic and instead she is working for a global leader right now. Um, I started looking at people like Jay-Z, right? Who was not supposed to make it, but he did anyway. And I started thinking, okay, why them? What, what did they have inside of them that said, this is not for me, I'm, I want more? And can I bottle that, right? And give it away to the planet? Like, what is it? So I started coming up with this formula and it's what I call self-directed empowerment. And it's really about how do we become our own renewable, sustainable source of power, right? So we become like our own solar panel, if you will. And, and so that's the work that I've been doing. And it's the root of whether I'm talking to, it doesn't matter what age, what gender, it's it's about a human being. And it just so happens that right now I'm focused on women, because that's where the focus needs to be. But it really is applicable to any human and and how we go about powering ourselves. Because I think around the world, there is this very conventional conversation about empowerment called, I'm going to empower you, right? We're going to go and empower young girls in India. Well, what does that mean? Because if we follow the logic, if I can give it to you, I can take it away from you. So that is not sustainable. So if I go and empower a bunch of young girls and then I leave, what happens to them?
0: Sure. And exactly. Exactly.
1: And we see this in the charity model all around the world, all of the, and especially the white savior complex, right? We're going to go save the Brown people. Uh, and the world does not need one more white woman going to save the world because the world doesn't need her. And so, you know, I'm trying to be very cognizant of that in all of the work that I do, that it's really about igniting what people already have inside and then giving them the tools to keep it going right? Cause it's, it's more about the tools yep. and, and the knowledge. And so that's the, you know, it's the book I'm writing. It's the entire curriculum that we do for Imperia. And we are seeing the way that it's changing lives, the way that women are sort of, they're, they're blossoming and they're discovering that it is indeed all up to them. And they, they do have the ability to affect change around them. And so it's, it's really quite extraordinary. And I feel very very blessed to kind of be in this incredible human conversation um, and watching people really just blossom and thrive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's interesting that you bring up Jay-Z um, because I've been a fan of his since 1995 when his you first too. album, Reasonable yep. out dropped, right? <laughs> yep. And at that time, he was selling albums out of the back uh, out of the trunk of his car and mm-hmm. a lot of people that are fans of hip-hop rap uh, know his story back then yep. and how he progressed through his albums you know but they don't know the true stats of him maybe they know him now because he's married to Beyonce and and you right. know he appears on fortune's list and and all that but they don't know how he progressed through you know mm-hmm. owning rock aware or Rockefeller and buying his the rights to his albums so that he would own them and no one else and Mm -hmm. becoming CEO of Def Jam and and you know everything that he did you know becoming one of the first artists to ever own or ever have a 360 deal uh, that allowed him to venture into every all the other spaces such as clothing and shoes Mm -hmm. you know opened a nightclub you know, opened, you know, took ownership of the Nets, Mm -hmm. sold that, and opened Barclays, you know, moving the team to this new, huge, and beautiful arena, and you know, and then selling those rights and and opening, you know, Rock Nation, which helps artists, And, and while they sign artists, and that's kind of The front and center of what you hear about, you know, they signed X new, you know, artist, the real impetus behind it was because he saw that, you know, roughly 75% of new athletes and artists are uh, out of money within, you know, within the first couple of years, because they don't know how to invest, they don't know how to save, things Mm -hmm. like that. Because as he's amount uh kind of accrued his wealth, he has properly understood how to invest and diversify and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then you don't yeah. even get I mean, never mind getting into the, you know, twenty-two Grammy records and you know all of right. that. Um I've been fortunate enough to see him four times in concert, I believe. Um and he's incredible to me. He is my favorite Mm -hmm. artist of all time, but it's also because he's a big inspiration to me. And for all intents and purposes, through multiple points of my life, I was supposed to be a statistic. Mm -hmm. Um, I had two different choices throughout life. And at multiple uh, points throughout my life, I had a choice to follow one path or the other, one very destructive and one, uh, hopefully not destructive, you know, make those decisions. And, yeah. um, you know, hopefully I've chosen one over the other, but, <laughs> you know, it that's where you gain these inspirations. And I agree with you. And some of them are very famous people like Jay-Z and some mm-hmm. of them aren't. They're friends yeah. that have a, just accomplished something, you know, and, The purpose Mm -hmm. of this podcast series is to elevate those, whether the topics are on leadership, on diversity, on overcoming something, uh, physically, uh, you know, life threatening, all these topics that hopefully other people can take and use that to get past whatever they're going through. Um, And that's what the whole purpose of Built Unstoppable became. That's that wasn't my intention actually out of the gate, right? I just was stupid and started to write about what was going on with me (laughs) because people were asking. But then all of a sudden, and
1: we lived through it with you, right? That was very. But that's the thing, you know. It's sometimes life has to knock you on your ass before you really get. How unstoppable you can be, I mean look I the reason we we really bonded was because of that because I get it you know i I've been flat on my back sick wondering what's going on and how am I going to get up tomorrow and what am I going to do with my career and everything looks terrible and 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 you come to that crossroads where it's time to sink or swim who are yeah. you going to be in this moment, and you have to choose and if you choose well um, that what seems like a tragedy in that moment can actually become your greatest spiritual fuel. Yep. Um, You know, if you had told me 15 years ago or even 10 years ago, Jennifer, you are going to become a global advocate for women. (laughs) Uh, You're going to speak at the UN. You're going to work for the state department once in a while. Um, You know, and uh, oh, by the way, you're not going to be doing food stuff anymore. I would have laughed. I would have thought that was the funniest thing ever. Um, I didn't even really like women that much at that time. (laughs) You know, I I had to go on my own voyage with that, but, but yeah, you don't realize when you're in it, when you're in the mess, when you're in the tragedy, when you're in the problem, you don't have the ability to float to 40,000 feet and really look at that. And it's only in hindsight that you can find the comfort, right? If I could go back, to her 10 years ago and say it's going to be okay i know things yeah. look absolutely terrible but i promise you that what is coming is going to knock your socks off yeah
0: <laughs> and and i felt yeah. that way right as i look back we're going as as we record this podcast now in july of 2020 mm-hmm. you know i'm at roughly uh almost six years since my mm-hmm. in, in uh, injuries, right, because of yeah. the August 10th uh, that it happened. And mm-hmm. uh, when I look back at that, it's something that I never want to experience. I don't wish it on anyone. Yeah. I, I'm i sorry and, and feel sorry when someone stubs their toe, right, and they, they try yeah. to, you know, they joke or they fall and whatever, and they, they'll say, ah, oh, you know it's nothing like you experience. It's like, no, it caused you pain. (laughs) You don't have to compare yourself to me, but you know, um, because of the closeness I developed with some friends and family, Mm um, the, I think fortitude that I had to deal with it. And I knew it would crush other people if, if if they went through it, Mm -hmm. um, you know made me happy and i had a lot of people over that period of time ask me and even record in podcasts why that we are as a society typical to only show the happy sides of us on social media the oh, best yeah. instagram photos the the happiest status updates on you know twitter and facebook and questioned why I chose to be 100% transparent, like in Mm -hmm. the worst possible ways. Right. And, um, but some of that over those 545 days of, of this from the first night to the last day of chemo, something almost magical happened that again, I never planned the right every day, but also Mm -hmm. people started to reach out and say, everything you're doing is become an inspiration to me. And, you know, uh, I never thought that I'd take that dream vacation or, you know, commit to losing weight or Mm -hmm. any variety of things. And in the years since then, I've had people reach out and ask to, if I would talk to them or talk to their significant others, Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: they're going through something uh, that they're inspired by what I've been through. And you never you never un- understand until something like that hits you, like you said, until your medical issue really burns you out. And yeah. that you have this whole potential different direction that never should have happened in your life mm-hmm. by all intents and purposes. And, you know, that's why I'm personally making different decisions um now
1: to move sure. forward
0: and you know i know that that you've done it as well i i i always think one of the interests and things with you i have a feeling that they play one and one together uh, but i've never asked you about is that when you uh got your office for imperia mm-hmm. you're i know how excited you were to be in the world trade center yeah. What is the background on that or or mm. why was there so much joy to be there?
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, it's really a full circle uh, kind of a story. So the everything behind uh, me getting very sick 10 years ago was a result of the fibromyalgia that I have in my body. Well, that's what they call it. I don't know what it actually is because we're still science is still trying to figure that out. Yep. Bottom line is that on September 11th, 2001, the, the aftermath of the stress of that and working in Manhattan and, and being alive in that moment, um, triggered all of the symptoms that would eventually lead to me getting very sick. Yep. Uh, ten years later, and so being able to go into the new world—and I never even went down to Ground Zero, like it was just not anything I wanted to be a part of, um, you know—and I had cooked uh, at the at the James Beard House during the cleanup, you know, during when they were on the pile looking for survivors. You know, we were cooking and 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 taking care of the the firefighters and police and all of that, and so. So it was a very deep experience for me. And then walking in there, am I, I started in my office on September 10th, 2018, um, which was its own special kind of very bizarre moment. But going up to the 85th floor and standing up there and looking out at the world, especially as a child of two immigrants who came from two different European countries with nothing, um, to have an office in that building and stand and look at everything was just extraordinary. Yeah. And it felt like an achievement on multiple levels
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> emotionally, you know, and as a businesswoman and, and as a, a young girl who dreamed of having an office in a big skyscraper, like it was just, it was a lot, it was a very intense day. Um, and so, yeah, it was just a really full circle moment for me. So it was very special. Thank you for asking that. That um...
0: I'm glad my assumption was correct. I didn't know about the, <laughs> the fact of being, you know, us, you know, nearby, essentially yeah. being in Manhattan. But I, I assume that it was kind of full circle, you know, yeah. doing what you loved and almost being, being that high in the air meant the power of what you could do for the women that you were helping, you know?
1: Well, you know, what's interesting about that is about a week in, I was sitting there and I'm looking out the window and I was looking at Queens, which is, as you may know, the most diverse population per square foot, I think in the world. And Because I was thinking to myself, how am I going to sort of workshop this thing that I want to do globally? But I'm here in New York City right now and I thought, Oh, well, there's Queens. And as I'm looking out at all of it, I thought, Okay, this has gotta be much bigger. It's gotta being up in the sky, looking at the world, made my ideas much bigger. Because they're there is an expansiveness when you're that high up and you're looking out at everything, surveying your domain. Um, there's no way to think small. It's impossible. Sure. And so that actually changed everything. And that's when we went fully global. Let's do this bigger. Let's make this. You know, my idea of fun is what looks impossible? Let's yep. go do that. Exactly. What is- what has no one ever done before? Let's do that. Because if someone's already done it, I'm not interested. If it's not a world's first, I'm not interested. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now it, it's what you said about, you know, September 10th and, and mm-hmm. that being meaningful. I had my, and what many people might not know unless they go back and kind of make the correlation or, or go look through all of the content, uh, of the, of the years was that my brain surgery actually happened on September the 11th Yeah, and, um, that was happen chance. It was supposed to be for something like a week or two later. Mm-hmm. And we got a call by my neurosurgeon on the Sunday before that and said, Hey, listen, you know, a spot opened up and I booked you for it you're coming in this, you know, uh, Thursday and having your surgery. And at first, you know, first thing that ran through my head and even for a couple of weeks after or, and even months after, I guess, was something negative is always been like, now there's two things in my life mm-hmm. associated that are negative, right? September yeah. 11th, which no American will ever forget. And having to have brain surgery, like yeah. which is negative, you know, which to a lot of people is negative. And then, you know, over the years, I've kind of flipped that on its head, similar mm-hmm. to what you said with with coming into your office. And it was that September the eleventh, two thousand and one, was you know a, a attack on our country that we will never forget, naturally, and. I can remember every moment, just like many can, where you were, what you were doing, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. September the 11th, 2014 was when I was kind of given a new lease on life. Mm -hmm. You know, I came out on the other side of that and I, and I lived through having a brain surgery. And so there will always be those two different worlds for me. Um, And do you
1: know, I don't know if you know this, but I still vividly remember that because I had a, I was on a press trip. Uh, It was this sort of women in tech press tour. And I had to fly on September 11th. And I thought, oh, really? (laughs) And, and as I had my layover, I was checking in with, I think it might have been Cece Chapman, um, trying to find out how you were doing. Were you awake yet? So... (laughs) I lived through that with you. <laughs> um, so it was a, that particular day stands out because I specifically remember walking through a very empty airport because nobody flies that day um, and waiting for you to wake up. So, so yeah,
0: it, it was quite a bookend of a day. It was uh, that day. And I'd find out, uh, of course, you know, a couple of weeks later was a similar thing happened with Tom Webster and Mark Schaefer, they wrote, they recorded it in a podcast that, Mm. that they stayed up or would wake up several times throughout the night Mm -hmm. to see if I had written anything uh, about or posted any photo or, or anything. Yeah. We were waiting
1: for the picture. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I couldn't really type at that point. Uh, After brain surgery, they, have you an ICU connected to every machine and everything inside of you, humanly possible? Um, sure. Even things you never want to know were possible. <laughs> um, and I, I ended up finding out that there's a kind of online waiting room, right? Yeah. This yeah. and and certainly when I had woken up from the seizures that first night, and people had initially found out. Mm-hmm. You know, I had hundreds of texts and you know, emails and messages across the social platforms and any way someone knew how to get a hold of me or or my wife, but yeah. the brain surgery was so much more. It was, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll always remember that, um, because that term, you know, the online waiting room always stuck out and always has mm-hmm. meant the most to me, um, mm-hmm. with it all. So, Um, that kind of brings me to the question I ask everyone. And I Mm -hmm. already told you this ahead of time to think of this, but (laughs) what does being built unstoppable mean to you?
1: Well, I mean, I I think it's very simple. It's that it's who you're willing to be when everything looks impossible. Um, it's, it's your Jay-Z moment. (sighs) It really is. It's, it's like, okay, not today, Satan, you know, we're doing this. Um, and then who, who do you have to discover inside of you to make it happen? That's, Um,
0: that's great. And awesome. Um, and lastly, Mm -hmm. where can people find you on the web?
1: (laughs) Super simple. Um, so my last name is very complicated. So I made it easy for people. They can simply go to empressjennifer.com, uh, Jennifer with two Ns. And that's where my, my personal website is with my speaking and coaching. And then Imperia, uh, I love this. We actually have one of the new, um, the new kind of style of domain names. So we're at imperia.global.
0: That is our address. Fantastic! Thank you so much uh, for joining Thank today, you Jennifer. For
1: having me. Thank you for having me. You, you are, you know, my Superman, as I always call you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> from one caped crusader to another, <laughs> you know, I'm hoping we can make a dent in this world before we go, whenever that is.
0: Me as well. Well, take care and have a good day. Thank you for joining another episode of Built Unstoppable. Please head over to builtunstoppable.com where you can read new articles from Justin Levy.